Well, as far back as you look, it seems that everyone loves a good adventure story. Some brave explorer casts out into an unpredictable world. Sometimes the explorer does this of his own volition. Sometimes they're thrust into an adventure by someone else. Sometimes the adventure ends with finding buried treasure, rescuing a damsel in distress, slaying a dragon, preventing some disaster, or conquering some supposedly impossible task. And of course, in every good adventure story, there are roadblocks along the way, some unexpected danger, accidentally taking the wrong path, or the temptation to give in to fear, turn around, and go back home. But then along with the roadblocks of the adventure story, you also get incredible opportunities for virtue. You see virtues like courage, teamwork, sacrifice, endurance, and wisdom, which are always key to a successful quest. It's not hard to think of famous adventure stories that include many of these features. You may think of old stories like Homer's Odyssey or Herman Melville's Moby Dick or J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, or C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia. But adventure stories aren't just a thing of the past. For some reason, even to this day, they still manage to capture our imaginations. And if you don't believe me, just think of the success of J.K. Rowling's much more recent Harry Potter series, celebrated by so many people. We love good adventure stories. But then again, the truth is that for most of us, life doesn't seem like much of an adventure, though getting here this morning may have been more of an adventure than normal. We have our usual routines. We do the same things, go the same places with the same people over and over again. For most of us, at least most of the time, life is safe and predictable. And when something unpredictable does happen, it's usually bad. And if you've known me for very long, you know that I treasure the rhythms of life that many people find boring. I truly believe that you can find great joy in meaningful traditions and even the routine or mundane happenings of everyday life. And yet at the same time, deep down, every now and then, that desire for adventure can call your name. And maybe you wish that just once... You could have a real adventure of your own, like the stories you read of old. Well, the story of Abram, later and more famously known as Abraham, starts in Genesis 12. And it is very much an adventure story. And having just read Genesis 1 through 11, a segment of scripture that starts so beautifully with the story of creation, but then leads into those ugly events of the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel. After reading those stories, an adventure story might do us some good. But as we begin reading about Abram today, we learn that the story isn't really about Abram after all. The story is about God. And on top of that, we also learn that, in a way, we as believers in Jesus follow in Abram's footsteps, called by God into the same big adventure. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we go any further, let's pray together as a church. 
Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for another Sunday worshiping you. This year, it seems like every Sunday there's weather coming in or weather on the way out that's going to hinder our ability to be here. And some weeks we've thought about maybe canceling. Some weeks we've pressed on and gone on with our worship service. But Father, I pray that for those of us who did make it today, that this worship service would be life-giving for us and honoring to you. Father, be with those who are at home. Watch over them. I pray that they would have time to worship, that they would make time to spend in your word if they can't be here. And Father, I pray that you would be with us as we hear your word. Give us open hearts and open minds and open ears to hear what you have to say to us. Thank you that in a world of mixed messages, we have your word to look to. And so, Father, I pray that we would look to your word as a source of truth and stability, unlike any other source of news or information that we read. We love you. We thank you for Christ who died for us. We ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, after the story of the flood, things seem to calm down, at least a little bit, in the book of Genesis. Outside of God dispersing the people at Babel, it appears that God is a little less active in the world than he was before. Generations come, generations go after Noah, and the truth is we don't hear that much from God. And if you didn't know any better, you may be tempted to ask, has God finally abandoned this fallen world? Was the Tower of Babel the last straw? Is God now content to simply look the other direction while sinful mankind sleeps in the corrupted bed we made for ourselves? Well, the short answer is no. Way back in Genesis chapter 1, the real action began when God spoke the world into being. And in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks again, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So first things first. Who's Abram? Well, Abram is the great, 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 great grandson of Noah, a descendant of Noah's son, Shem. Abram has two brothers, 
Nahor, and Haran. But Haran dies at a young age. Abram is married to a barren woman named Sarah, so he has no kids of his own, which may be part of why Abram takes his nephew Lot under his wing. Abram's family lives in the land of Ur, but eventually ends up closer to the land of Canaan. And by the time we pick up in Genesis 12, Abram is 75 years old and appears to have lived a relatively unremarkable life. That is, until God speaks and calls him into an adventure. Now, that initial calling from God is pretty simple and pretty clear. Pack up everything, pack up everyone, and go. But think about the risk involved in this. We have a 75-year-old man leaving behind all the comfort, familiarity, and safety of home, all because he claims to have heard God's voice. I can't help but think that that would be a tough sell to Sarah and Lot. But then on top of that, God doesn't even tell him where he's going. It's the equivalent of God saying to you right now, rent a U-Haul, pack everything up, and just start driving. And I'll tell you where we're going later. That would probably be a hard sell to your family. But then along with this unreasonable calling, God gives Abram some huge promises. He says that Abram will be the father of a great nation. He's not just going to have a large and influential family. They will be a great nation. A formidable people group on the world's stage competing with the big boys of ancient civilization. On top of that, God will bless Abram and make his name great, and Abram himself will be a blessing to others. So far, so good, right? Abram could be picturing all kinds of things at this point. Wealth, power, fame. But not only that, all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abram. You know, when we speak of someone that we find arrogant, we sometimes bitterly and sarcastically say, you know, that guy sure is full of himself. He thinks he's God's gift to earth. Well, Abram really is God's gift to earth. And then finally, and when you think about it, this may be the most mind-blowing part of the entire promise. God says that the rest of mankind will be judged based on how they treat Abram. I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you, I will curse. God is essentially telling Abram that he will always be on Abram's side, no matter what. What a promise that is. Now, of course, put yourself in Abram's sandals. How does one respond to a calling and a promise like that? Well, first thing he does is Abram listens. He packs up everything, he packs up everyone, and they venture out with nothing to guide him except God's voice. I kind of find myself wondering, why was Abram so willing to go? He didn't ask questions, he didn't demand more details, he didn't ask God for a sign to prove that he wasn't just hallucinating. Maybe he listened so quickly because he was bored. Maybe he listened so quickly because his neighborhood was starting to be overrun with hipsters. Or maybe he was experiencing that restless desire for adventure 
that we talked about earlier. Or maybe the promises of God were simply too good to pass up. And Abram thought he'd take his chances. Well, I like to think that Abram listened because there was just something different about this voice than any other that Abram had ever heard. It's kind of like when the disciples immediately drop their fishing nets and go. And all Jesus had to say was, follow me. And they listen. There's just something different about this voice. But not only does he listen, Abram also worships. When God finally tells them to take a break from the road, Abram builds an altar, a dedicated place of worship. That was common in Abram's day. People built altars and then came back and visited them all the time. But instead of going back to this altar over and over again, Abram just builds more altars everywhere he goes. Eventually, Abram ends up worshiping God all over the map. And then the third thing that Abram does is he calls on God. At first, this was a one-way relationship. God called, and Abram listened. But now Abram's the one calling God. It becomes a two-way relationship. Later writers in Scripture will call God and Abram's relationship a friendship, an intimate closeness. So Abram is called by God to this adventure. But why Abram? Why not someone else? I mean, couldn't have God found a single person, someone without a spouse and a nephew to look out for? Couldn't he have found someone a little bit younger? Couldn't he have found someone with a better track record of accomplishments rather than just boring old Abram? So why this guy out of everybody? Well, one thing we see time and time again in Scripture is this, that God in his grace and God in his wisdom doesn't always call the people that you expect. He calls people like the self-conscious Moses the flawed judges, the young shepherd David, the tax collector Matthew, and the persecutor Saul to relationship with him and service in his cause. So it's easy to wonder why God would call and make such big promises to someone like Abram, someone so unremarkable. But one thing remains true, that when God calls, you listen. When God calls, you worship. And when God starts a relationship with you, you call out to him in return. But there's still one big problem. Abram and Sarah don't have a child. It's the one big piece of the puzzle that's still missing. And how can the promise be fulfilled if they don't have a baby? Abram is 75 years old. His wife, Sarah, is old, too, and if she couldn't have a baby when she was young, what's going to change that now? You don't need modern medical technology to see that Abram and Sarah's chances of having a child aren't very good. So how can this promise of Abram being the father of a great nation, how can this promise possibly come true? Abram and Sarah aren't getting any younger, and every day that passes by, This promise becomes just a little bit harder to believe. 
But as we move forward, there appears to be another obstacle to the promise that God gave Abram. And it's not the lack of a baby. That obstacle is Abram himself. We see it in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 10. As Abram and Sarah travel, they enter Egypt. And with no prompting from God whatsoever, Abram lies to Pharaoh and says that Sarah is his sister. Abram was concerned for his own safety. Being an old, rich stranger, far away from home, married to a beautiful woman, can be dangerous. So Abram took things into his own hands, throws Sarah to the wolves, all to save his own skin. But then the plan backfires when Pharaoh decides to take Sarah as a wife. But thankfully, God swoops in, saves Sarah from Pharaoh, and Abram's lucky that he and Sarah don't get killed over this lie. Abram almost lost the promise then and there in Egypt before we ever get out of chapter 12. But God saves him. But believe it or not, Abram doesn't learn his lesson here when he tries to pull the same stunt with another king in Genesis chapter 20. There's Genesis chapter 16, where Abram yet again tries to take matters into his own hands rather than trusting God. He and Sarah get nervous that God's never going to give them the baby they need. So they try to manufacture one. At Sarah's urging, Abram sleeps with his servant, Hagar, and Hagar gets pregnant. However, when baby Ishmael is born, Sarah gets jealous, and they treat Hagar and Ishmael like dirt. But once again, God doesn't give Abram and Sarah the punishment they deserve. Even after all of this, all of the slip-ups, God is faithful to Abram and Sarah. And God finally blesses them with a baby by the name of Isaac. So after that initial response of faith and obedience and worship, Abram repeatedly stumbles. Just as often as Abram believes, he doubts. Just as often as he obeys, he sins. Just as often as Abram trusts God to fulfill the promise, Abram tries to force the promise to happen by taking things into his own hands and almost ruins the whole story. And yet, God is still good to him. And not only that, more than once, even after all of Abram's doubts and failures, God patiently reaffirms his promise. We see that in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to Abram. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then God said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness.
Genesis chapter 17, another reaffirmation of the promise. When Abram was 99 years old, think about that, 99 years old, 24 years since this adventure started, and still no baby. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So time and time again, God not only reminds Abram of his calling, not only reminds Abram of the promise, but gives him tangible signs that he can be trusted. In Genesis chapter 15, they have a sacrificial ceremony, which Zach alluded to during communion, a tangible sign of God's calling and promise. In chapter 17, God gives Abram the covenant of circumcision, a very visible sign of the calling and promise. The truth is that Abram doesn't deserve to be the father of a great nation. He fails God more than once. But God doesn't fail Abram. He doesn't deserve a great name. He doesn't deserve God's favor. But God keeps his promise, not just for Abram's sake, but for all the families of the earth who will benefit from the fulfillment of God's plan and the fulfillment of God's purposes. Now, of course, Abram's story is far from over. We'll pick it up next week. But as I read this week, I couldn't help but think that believers like us have a number of things in common with Abram. I mean, think about it. As followers of Jesus, we too have been called to an adventure, specifically a life of faith. Like when Jesus told those disciples to follow him, this adventure calls us to leave behind things that we know. To leave behind things that we might be comfortable with. To maybe even leave behind things that we love. If they take our eyes away from Christ. And if they don't fit in the purposes of God. There's a great example of this in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. We read there. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, 
No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We have been called to an adventure. And going on an adventure means leaving behind all sorts of things. But then on top of that, as followers of Jesus, we've been given not just a calling, but we've been given great promises. Promises that make the adventure well worth all the risks. Not long before he's crucified, Jesus tells his disciples that God's house has many rooms and that one day they'll be there too. Paul says that the glory awaiting us far outweighs any of the present sufferings this life of faith may present to us. The book of Revelation tells us that the one who conquers through the blood of Jesus has eternal joy in the presence of God himself to look forward to. And then in the book of Galatians, Paul says that believers in Jesus from all nations of the earth. Remember the promise in Genesis 12? All families of the earth will be blessed. Well, according to Paul, all families of the earth, Jews and Gentiles alike, can be children and heirs in God's family. And it's all through Christ. Because believers in Jesus are the true sons and daughters of Abraham. And through Jesus' cross, we have been made friends of God. And then finally, we too, as followers of Jesus, often stumble along the way. We can be so much like Abram. At one moment, by the grace of God, we are shining examples of faith and obedience and worship. And then at another moment, we allow doubt and fear to obscure the promises that God has given us. We so often try to take things into our own hands. And then when we do, we fall flat on our faces in disobedience. But thankfully, what was true for Abram is also true for us. That while we may fall regularly, God does not abandon us. When we fall flat on our faces, God graciously picks us up, dusts us off, and sets us back on the adventure. He might do it through a convicting passage we read in Scripture, or an encouraging brother or sister in Christ, or even just a case of tough love, bringing about humility. But God picks us up and sets us back on the path. Needless to say, it's a relief to know that the promises we've been given rest not in our attempts at a perfect record of obedience or a perfect record of faithfulness or works. The promises that we've been given rest in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the one called by God to offer himself as a perfect sacrifice on the cross. So by God's grace, we are his sons and daughters, his heirs and friends, Thanks to Jesus' death and resurrection, the perfect fulfillment of the promise to Abram. So as we close today, my challenge would be this. Obey the call of God to this adventure, this life of faith. There will be roadblocks along the way. You will inevitably stumble, and you'll get your fair share of bumps and bruises. At times, you may feel lost. At times, you may doubt whether or not the promises are true. At times, you may even think about turning around and going home. 
But remember that God will not fail you. And the promises that he gives us are more than worth the adventure. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story that you've written throughout the pages of history. And thank you for the story that you're still writing. Father, thank you that we know the end of the story. We know that the story ends in redemption, joy, reconciliation, and eternal life in your presence. And Father, thank you for inviting us to be a part of the story. Thank you that you call us, that you save us, you forgive us, you guide us, you teach us, you discipline us. You do all the things that we need you to do to keep us on this path of faithfulness. So Father, I pray that as we all go to our own individual adventures, whatever that might be, some more glamorous than others, I pray that we would keep in mind the calling that you've given us and the promises that we have to look forward to. When we stumble, when we fall, when we mess up, your promises remain, your calling remains. And I pray that we would find peace and joy and safety and security in that. Thank you that you have fulfilled your promise to Abram, most of all through your son, Jesus Christ. That all families of the earth are blessed, Jews and Gentiles, people like us who believe in Jesus. Thank you that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their baggage. What a joy and what a hope and what a promise that is. So, Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for this morning. Father, as we prepare to leave this place in a few minutes... Find us faithful to the life of faith that you've called us to. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.